good? <laughs> as okay. good as it's going to get. Listen. <laughs> no, you listen. <laughs> this is going to be so goofy. Yes. Are we Are we filming? Sickening. We're filming. Episode one, you guys. So this is the Blair White Project podcast. First guest is Michael Malice, also known as Michael Maller. <laughs> or Michaeler. <laughs> and this is going to be ridiculous. I don't know what this is going to set the tone for for the rest of the show, but we'll find out. Okay. So you're an author. Dear reader. What? I can't list off your book. <laughs> go, no, go ahead. Yeah. So, so you're an author. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Why do you think you have such a hold over the online right political sphere? Because you're not you're not a right winger. You're an anarchist. I don't think I... Why would you... I, I'm not trying to be difficult. Like, why do, would you say that I have such a hold on the online right? Because I, they all love you. You're on all their shows. Oh, Oh, but okay. You know I me. Mean? When you say online right, I thought you meant like all like right like right wing people on Twitter, like the the like the, the all the conservatives. Uh, why do I? Well, it's not just online right. Like it's just like you know broader context. I think um, I get along well with conservative people, like you're talking about, like Dave Rubin, Glenn Beck. I'm a regular on his show once a week. I think they appreciate someone who hates the same people that they do. At the same time, that person treats them with respect, but also has a very different view than them. So that is going to provide them with an interesting conversation because I think most conservatives uh, really have this binary worldview that you're either like a liberal, the liberals, um, or you're one of them. So they don't really know what to make of me, but you know, they at least know it's going to be a fun conversation. That's what I'd have to guess. Well, it's just funny because I feel like my career is obviously very different than yours, but similar in the sense of like maybe on paper we shouldn't be popular or be on these shows like on the right wing sphere because me being trans, you being an anarchist, it seems like very like. There's a different. lot of reasons, paper and otherwise, why you shouldn't be popular. Like, <laughs> I mean, let, let's be. Let, I know. Let's I really be, hacked life. Let's be honest. We I really hacked life. I, I brought a list. <laughs> This isn't this isn't a podcast. And there's this a new reason. And a new reason. This show. Yes. Yes. It's fucking ridiculous. I don't know. I like you know that I've been very. You have friends in that world. Mm -hmm. I don't have like any friends in that world, and it's really by choice because you know me. I'm very secluded. I don't really trust anyone in our industry. Do you think it's by? Well, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's. Not, I don't know if it's by choice. I think a lot of conservatives don't know how to react. To people who are unusual uh i think a lot of conservatism is informed by kind of being a square and i think being a square yeah. is underrated i think it's really easy to talk crap about like ned flanders but it's like if your neighbor is ned flanders what he cares about his kids he works hard uh <laughs> you know you, you can he can trust you you can right. trust him to watch your house when you're gone right you know and all this other stuff so it's really easy to mock people like that but i think they're very underrated and great people but at the same time, Ned Flanders won't know how to talk to you. And he'll try to be nice and respectful, but he, he's going to be uncomfortable. Like when people, I mean, to use a very bad analogy, but it's a serious one. Like my friend John, who you met when we were hanging out in L.A., like he's scared of dogs, right? So he, Is like, he? Yeah. That's so funny. But like he was around our friend Michael Wolf's dog, and he was like being normal, but he just wasn't, he couldn't completely relax. He knew the dog wasn't going to bite him, but he was still like, so I feel like a lot of conservatives when they meet someone like you, or even not someone as, as unusual as you, they're really not going to know what to do. They're, they don't want to offend the person, but it's not their kind of wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth to that, but there's also the fact that, like, 
I mean, you've seen my DMs and the way I like don't respond to people. It's like I could have a lot of friends in that world if I really reciprocated a lot of them. You know what I mean? But like I just I always want to keep a distance. And but that's one thing I actually try to work on now. Like you kind of show me the value of like having friends around you and maybe friends is a strong word, but associates that you at least somewhat trust and you can go out to dinner with and all that. Yeah, it's like a newer thing for me. I say allies, associates and acquaintances because the word friend, yeah. I got into this with uh, a podcast many years ago. The word friend is the person you talk to at work about the weather. And it's also the first person you call when your mom dies. So to have one word for both of these two phenomena yeah. is not really accurate. But yeah, it's good. I also find it very inspiring to have people that I know, I will use the word friends in this context because they'll fall into all those three categories who are making it happen and, you know, who are kind of self-made and achievement oriented. Uh, it's great motivation. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed, because I don't ever have shit to do. So when you're live streaming, I'm watching your live streams. And I also see this in my audience and in yours. People have a real connection with you that follow you. Like they're very much inspired by you. Role model is a weird word, but you objectively are to a lot of people. How seriously do you take that? Like, do you, is that in your mind at all when you make moves and you make content or you write things? I, I use the term troll model. <laughs> so that is that the, that's the, the technical term. It's not ever in my mind in the sense of uh, if you regard yourself as a role model, you're going to kind of bite your tongue or try to act a certain way, which I like, I do bite my tongue in certain circumstances, but not for these reasons. I am very aware of it because one of the benefits of being, you know, in your late 50s as I am, is you remember when you were younger and you remember certain things and it's very easy to help younger people not make the mistakes you did for the very simple reason as like, for example, making a resume, right? Like that's just like when you reach a certain age in business, like you'll know what looks makes a good resume, what doesn't, why make that kid go through those all mistakes you made when it's just a matter of like, it's just this A or B, this is how you do it. Just there's, and there's no way to deduce that. Right. So right. one of the things that, you know, when I was growing up, I talk about this constantly is like young men in their like late twenties, like 24 to 28, uh, mid to late twenties. Uh, that's a very, very dark period often. Uh, and this yeah. is kind of swept on the rug and I'm kind of the guy to point out like this is the time when you know the people you went to college with are kind of falling away men them are getting married or they're doubling down in their career um, and if you're kind of this young idiosyncratic kid who's trying to make it happen or sees things a little differently you're going to find yourself in that room looking around no one's there and you're going to think it's you and you're not going to know what's going on so that group is a group I do very much uh, relate to I was that person and by speaking to them and making them feel, I hate this term, but making them feel seen and making them feel like, oh, this is normal. It's going to suck really bad, but like you're, it's going to work out in the end. Like that is a group I do very much keep in mind. Yeah. And that's the group that I feel like that is like a dark period for most people, especially men. And it's like a weird period because it's the period where you're expected to be the most independent. Yeah. You don't have like your family yet. And um, but yet also you're dealing with like the most. So that makes sense. Like. For me, it's really, really young kids. Like I have an abnormally young audience for being in the right wing sphere or whatever and that algorithm. Um, and they're all super lost. Like yeah. and they're and they're a lot of them are grappling with like, do I transition or not? Do I like do these things that are gonna affect me forever? And so a lot of people call me a role model. It's like a, a, a big thing in my audience. And I really steer away from that because I feel like even though I feel like my life's mostly together, I feel like I wouldn't want anyone to live the life that I've lived, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like it's been a lot of darkness for me, too. 
and my path is like nowhere near what I want for anyone else. But I also imagine they respond to you and reach out to you because if they're having questions about their sexual identity or the gender identity or something like that, if they open their mouths in school or at home, it's a lot of dominoes because now it's, yeah. you can't unring that bell and now dad's going to look at you differently. Mom's going to look at differently. Teacher's going to make a thing, you know, it's going to be like a whole big drama where it could be just like someone just trying to feel their way around and grow up, which is something, right. you know, we all have to go through, not just LGBT people. So I feel like if they can reach out to you and they're confused, they know you're not going to obviously call their folks or their teacher or make this a whole public thing so they could feel safe to explore these questions and not have it be a big spectacle. But it's also a conundrum for me because, like, do I tell this 12-year-old, like, yeah, you should come out? And then they get kicked out of their house or something. Right. It's like there's no real answer. Yes, you should transition. I don't know you. Yes, you should detransition. I don't know you. There's no way for me to do that. Um, so I was watching interviews of you last night. And I have watched a lot of interviews. I've watched your Rogan interviews. But I saw some on like Ruben Report. And you implement performance art in a lot of your guest appearances. And that's also something that is like the right has this thing with art that it's like this foreign concept. And you fully embrace it. I know that about you. Um, explain your choice to like, I saw you on Ruben wearing a mask. What was the cartoon character? That, that The was? question. Okay. So what made you start doing that? And why do you think that's important? I don't know that it's, I would say that it's important. It's something that I really enjoy doing. Uh, I forgot who it was. I read an interview. This was, must've been 15 years ago. And the person made the point that they regarded when they were doing their radio show, every time they're on the radio, it was an opportunity. Like, this is their chance to do something exciting. And for me, if I'm doing an appearance that's, like, on a big platform, like Lex Friedman has a very big show, me and him are close. Like, I've dressed up several times when I've been in his show to the point where he started dressing up. Uh, I think it's something that I always kind of keep the... Episode one. Do not edit that out. I'm not going to. Do not edit Episode that out. Episode one, bitch. Wow. Oh, my God. Holy crap. But you know what's crazy is, like, I wouldn't even let that happen on someone else's podcast, yeah. but I am on my own. Yeah. But maybe I should on my own. Maybe I can this on my own. It's your house. It's my house. This is my house, and you can roll out. <laughs> I, I try to be respectful, but I need some of that in return. I don't know what you do on the um, So, I do... Because I do know how fun it is. I grew up on wrestling, the WWF, when I was a kid, it was called wrestling. That makes so much I, sense. The, the, when you're that wrestler, part of it's like the wrestling uh, in the actual ring, but a large part of it was also making that entrance and making that big spectral, especially the villains who were the ones I always responded to. So for me, you know, if you were just clicking on, you know, what's this idiot dressed like now? Like I try to make it fun because the other thing is what I'm doing Anyone else can do it. Like, it's not like I have this trademark, like go on, you know, Lex's show and, and dress in a certain way. And no one else seems to think in these terms. So A, that makes me stand out, which is fine. Sure. But I, also just for the audience, I know it's a lot of fun. And also I think part of what I enjoy with my work is even though I write about North Korea, Stalin, you know, genocide, it, it's important for us, especially as Americans, to not take everything so seriously in the sense that you can't control all these horrible things. You can control lots of aspects of your life. But if you're going to be in this mindset of just consumed by horror and not letting those little bits of light, it's really going to consume you and destroy you. So I always try to you know, bring a smile to people's face. And also it's very useful as a sorting mechanism because there's a lot of people who will say, 
I can't take seriously anyone who's dressed like, you know, like any of my outfits. And I'm like, good. If you're the kind of person who will look at someone and judge their ideas just because they're in a clown suit, you know, if it's in writing, it would be the same words. I don't want you to take me seriously. I want you to be alienated from my audience. So I very much have a velvet rope approach to building an audience. Well, that's important because there's also the other side of it, which is like, I think it's called audience capture, where people will do anything and everything to build an audience. And as someone who like fell into what I do completely by accident, um, I feel like there's been time periods where I've been better and worse at that, at like making sure the right people are joining my audience. There's actually a period, I think, between like 2019 and 2020, um, I never really talked about this, but I got so sick of doing politics that I had this long string of videos. I can't really tell if you look at all my videos that like were not so political, and they were very much um, more so consumable by like leftists as well. So I started getting all these leftists in my audience, which at the time I'm like, okay, more audience, whatever. I'm blowing up, but then like those types of people, not to generalize, but to generalize, you make one mistake and they're fucking ready to hang you by the noose. So I had to learn over time, like, no, there literally is an art to growing an audience. It's not just do this and get followers because that ends horribly. So that that is really smart that you do that. That's a really important thing. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that talking about darkness, writing about darkness consumes you in a negative way. And you do that a lot. I've done that a lot. And I know that firsthand it can because I've done topics that are on pedophilia and predators and whatever. So what do you do to balance that out because it can't feel like there's been times where, like we'll hang out maybe and like the day like or before we hang out you're like writing and i'm sure you're probably writing about some dark shit but then we hang out and we're so goofy and fun how do you like deal with that um that's a great question i don't deal with it particularly well um one of the things i guess that i tell myself like i have two questions i ask myself like why is it like your job to be talking about this stuff like who the hell are you but then it's like, why are you the only one talking about this? And I know that's you had the same kind of approach with a lot of this kind of child predator stuff. So, you know, the reason I'm writing my next book, which deals a lot with like the Soviet Union and the atrocities that happened there is, you know, I was on Glenn Beck's show, uh, Head of the Blaze. He's a hardcore conservative, has been for many years. And, you know, he's and a lot of these conservatives like to say things like like President Biden's a communist, like just the complete nonsense. And. I'm there in the studios and I'm just like, how are you guys not talking about this stuff? Like every five minutes about how bad the Soviet Union was. Like, this is such a big deal. This was a big talking point for conservatives correctly for decades. This was a big conservative victory um, with the end of uh, the Soviet Union. And I'm like, all right, well, if they're not talking about it, like, you know, my brain actually told me like, like, hey, 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 jackass, you know, you write books, right? So I'm like, all right, well, if no one's doing it, I'm going to have to. Um, and I guess what makes me deal with it easier, just like with the North Korea book, is taking pride in the fact that, you know, and also like taking pride in the same way when someone I talk about someone who's a celebrity, who's kind of, or who was a minor political figure, and I'm bringing them more attention now that they're gone, is you're giving testimony to these people who otherwise would be completely erased. And it's like, these people mattered. Uh, their stories are of interest and of relevance today. And I take that extremely seriously. And also knowing it's going to be widely read, it makes me feel great to hold some people who did some very, very mind-boggling with horrible things accountable. Yeah, 100%. And that's interesting. I've noticed like with a lot of your work, it seems as if you're 
you think in terms of legacy a lot. You think in terms of like after you're gone, how you're remembered. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that is I, exactly. Okay. The, I would when I was working on one book for UFC fighter, we were talking about this and like like I at the time I thought I wasn't gonna have kids and I still that's my my path now and, and it's like my legacy is when I'm gone to have that stack of books, you know, that it's gonna be read, you know, fifty years from now, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And even just watching the way you operate in that term in terms of legacy, like makes me think about it for myself too, because I fell into everything accidentally. And like I think of all the stuff I've done online and it's like I love some of it, I hate some of it, some of it's cringe, some of it's great. And I'm like, damn, this really is one shot at life. And like when we're dead, it's gonna be they're gonna be watching videos of you and me reacting to TikToks on YouTube. <laughs> And then we'll roll over in our graves. <laughs> Maybe you a little more so. I feel no shame. I'm past that. Um, so your books, if you had one book that you had to be, that already has been written, that you had to be known for, what would it be? Um, well, I, I, I would say Dear Reader, the North Korea book, because okay. what it was the hardest book I've done until now. Um, and for me, so basically it's the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il, who is the father of the current leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. I went there, I read 60 books as research, and Kim Jong-il is North Korea's version of Forrest Gump in the sense that in their propaganda, wherever anything of historical value happened, he was there. So he's, you know, he's there from the beginning, he's there at the end. So since he died um, in uh, 2011, and he was there since the 40s, his life story is the story of North Korea from the North Korean perspective. So to get everything you need to know about North Korea in one book and to make it readable and entertaining, I had to juggle a lot of balls at once. So to be able to pull that off and to have people understand what these poor people have to go through on a day-to-day -day basis as we speak right now is something I was uh, very proud of. Yeah. One person that's educated me about that a lot is Yanmi Park. Sure. I hope I'm not butchering her name. Yanmi Park, yeah. yeah. Her channel is like, you watch some of her videos and it's your brain doesn't actually compute what she's saying half the time. Like, I feel like sometimes I have to watch it in like 0.25 speed because I'm like, every word sometimes is so shocking. You hear about the girls that are sent off to, you know, be basically sex slaves for people at the top and the conditions. And But her... they have it great, those sex slaves. Well, no, that's the, that's the yeah. fucked up thing. Um, can I swear? This is my show. I'm like, yeah. can I swear on here? He does. Of course I can. No, like. Because the, everyone's a slave. So the sex slaves like have to have sex like once a month and their families are taken care of. So it's kind of like this insane bargain. Like, would you rather your whole family be starving and slaves? Or like if you slept with someone once a month, can your family be taken care of for life? I would take that in a oh, second. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And you hear about, you know, she told some story on Rogan about like walking past a corpse or not even a corpse it was a person that was like decomposing before he was even dead on the street and starving and it's like sometimes it makes you feel so like i'm just some training that grew up in california and i'm like sharing my perspective it's like sometimes i feel like i don't even have a right to bitch about anything of course i do and i'll continue to but it really puts life into perspective i need to read your north korea book yeah really badly uh yeah. it, it it'll 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 do a number on you i can only imagine um is there a moment, because you weren't always a public figure. What would you say, like half your life you weren't? Uh, Probably more than half my life, yeah. Okay. What age did you kind of like realize, like, or was there a moment where you're like, oh, I could do this for a living now? Maybe not you've made it, but this is what I'm going to do now. Um, 
I don't know that there was a moment. I think it's the kind of thing where I'm sure you've gone through the same thing. Like when people ask you what you do for a living, like it's weird. Well, it's different for you because you're a YouTuber from the beginning. With me, since I wear a few hats, I'd never really had a good answer. Now I say media personality, which seems to cover it. Um, I don't know where, that there was a moment. Like at what point am I allowed to call myself like a celebrity or a public figure? It's like, okay. Well, if people want your autograph, you've got to be at least a minor celebrity, right? So that's that's kind of a weird thing. If people stop you on the street, I guess technically you call celebrity. But for me, also celebrities like J Lo, it's not like you know what I mean. Like it's not like paparazzi are following me or something like that. Like I'm known in a certain context. I'm completely unknown in other contexts, and and that's perfectly fine. Um, I I don't know that there was a single. I think it's like a process. It's different for you. You had a you had a switch. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I literally became Blair and like two months later I made a YouTube video and then that was my life. So I don't really have any perspective of like being Blair White, like not as a public figure, which is super weird. Um, and I think that's also why maybe I'm being too hard on myself. I was about to say I made so many like mistakes and shit on along the way, in which I objectively have, but like who cares? Yeah. Well, how, how could you what, not? What was I supposed to do? I literally fell like, into who this. Does not look at George Washington. He got he had to retreat repeatedly. Right, right, right. Like did you just compare yourself to George Washington? Oh my God, the ego on you. You did. Hmm. I simply agreed. <laughs> you did. You said what you said. Um, but yeah, like all those words, like celebrity and public figure or whatever, they're all like, when you, why are you laughing at me? Because it's fun. <laughs> um, they all like mean something different to someone else. Like, in fact, yesterday, someone on Twitter called us fringe people. Did yeah. You see, someone called us fringe people, and then there's someone saying, "Well, just because Michael's not Kardashian famous, it's like, but you are famous. You are a celebrity. You are a public figure. And sometimes when you say words like that, people think that it's coming from a place of ego or an inflated sense of self. And it's like, no, I think it's just facts. If someone's coming up to you and like crying and saying, "Oh my God, I love your work," like you're famous. I think also a lot of people are binary thinkers, so they think you're either the president or you're nobody, or, or whoever you want to just, either you're like the most important person or you don't matter at all. Yeah. You know, there's a good example of this is stand-up comedy. There's a lot of comedians who you and I would never have heard them who make a good living and pay the rent. You know what I mean? You're a successful stand-up comedian. You don't have to be Jerry Seinfeld. You don't have to be, you know, any of these other, you don't have to be Rogan or, you know, Ray Romano to be a successful stand-up, you don't have to be a household name. Yeah, 100%. But people don't understand that. They think like, oh, I've never heard of you, therefore you're, you're a loser. It's like, if you haven't heard of someone, that could be a testament to your ignorance, not on their... 100%. And if someone is a creative person and they're paying their rent, in my opinion, they've made it. 100%. Like, I remember, um, my, I still remember the moment I got my first Google AdSense check. Oh. It hit my account and I got a notification and I didn't even know if I had set it up properly because for the first six months of my channel, I didn't care about making money. It's just so stupid that I lost probably a lot of money those first six months. But uh, it was seventeen forty-seven. Like that was the amount of money. Like, and um, it was in. I was in the mall and I instantly was like, "I'm buying more stuff. <laughs> I'm just going to buy more stuff." And from that point on, I was like, "Oh, okay." You should consider framing that email. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Get a nice, cute frame for it. Yeah. that's the kind of thing where I like seeing things around my house that are moments in my past where you can remember that moment of joy when you see it. Yeah, 100%. And I was like getting ready to move in with my boyfriend at the time and like didn't even know how I was going to afford it. And I was like, okay, I got the first month's rent. We're good. It was like a cool feeling. Like, Wait, $17 or $1,700? 1700 
$1,700. Oh, I thought it was $17. <laughs> no, no, Oh, no. you were making bank from for, the beginning. Oh, wow. For, Holy crap. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was weird because I think that I, like, fell into a niche again accidentally because there's no other trans people doing the shit that I do. So it's kind of instantly people were like, oh, now there's a trans bitch talking about this stuff, which was different at the time, so it worked out. But I don't know. It's such a weird world we're in because I feel like you get people coming up to you all the time and I'm sure they tell you like with me when people come up to me they never just say hi I like your channel it's like some kind of emotional story about how I've affected them do you I'm sure you get that all the time mm -hmm. like this moment in your book really meant so much to me or whatever does that fuel you or does it what does it do for you oh it's very I, it makes me feel great I always talk to them at length I know what it's like when someone whose work has affected me uh, one of the things that I'm very fortunate with and I know you are too is that I'm in a position where I can like have someone on my show that if I read a book of theirs that I really like and talk to them and that's just such an exciting opportunity for me uh, that I really really enjoy and it's hard in the sense that you know I'm sitting in my house you know on Twitter like in my underwear just yeah. tweeting away and to have that have positive effect on someone I'm not gonna really feel that but when you see that flesh and blood person and they're like oh you know uh I'm going to sound like Ricky Gervais in the office, you know, like, oh, my wife's going through cancer, but it's a lot easier because of your tweets. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's happened. And I can see how that would happen. Yeah. If I'm going through a horrible period, I want to watch dumb crap on my phone and not think about what, what's happening. So if I could be that person and lighten their load, I, I mean, my God, it's very humbling. And, and it just makes my, puts a skip in my step all week. Yeah. Especially because half the time I feel like I'm a wreck. So I'm like, how am I giving people happiness when like, I'm overall a pretty happy person, but like, I'd be going through a lot. I'm like, shit, maybe I need someone to like, give me that. Yeah. I maybe. don't look up to anyone. Is that weird? That is very weird. I'm is not going to lie. I think it's, I does, that does not, it's, it's, it sounds to me like someone who says, I don't like music. It's like, what, what do you mean? There's no, I don't understand that. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, let me try to articulate better. I don't look up to anyone in the sense of like, I don't see anyone who's doing what I do or lives a life really comparable to mine. Cause I feel like my life is just so weird and different than like everyone I've ever met and everyone I see in the media or whatever that, who am I supposed to look up to? Caitlyn Jenner would be, be <laughs> but like, you don't not really. To, it has to be a trans person. Well, no, There's know, no but... one who you would sit down. And if someone said you have an opportunity to sit and listen to this person talk for eight hours, you wouldn't be like, okay, sold. Eight hours? There's no one? No, I would never listen to anyone for eight hours. Wow, okay. I've got a You would? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, okay, well, there'd be people that I would be interested to hear from, maybe like certain historical figures or people no, no, that have- No, contemporary people, I mean. Oh. Wow. Oh. No. Wow, okay. Oh, I'm a crazy person. Or maybe I'm a crazy person. No, I think it's probably, less crazy to have people you look up to than not. Yeah. <laughs> I am a crazy person. Would you say, this is just going to be like a selfish question. Because I <laughs> <laughs> Would you say I'm flawless? What's yes, your favorite Blair. thing about me? <laughs> That's like on your show when you ask people, what's your favorite part of this interview? Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you. I got the reference. <laughs> maybe they don't. Wait, wait, when are we going to start recording? <laughs> I'm going to kill myself on camera. Um, 
Let me forget my question. No, no, I was going to say, so you are very similar to your online persona. It's not even a persona because it's just you. Yeah. Do you think the same about me? Do you think I'm similar in real life as opposed to you? You're, I'm more similar to me online than you are. In what way? Um, or ways? I, I mean, <laughs> do you want me spilling tea? Depends on what kind of tea. Um, I, I don't. I feel like I'm nicer in real life. I feel you like not. you're more engaged in real life. It's okay. more of a conversation. You're well, of course, because you're talking to me. No, but online, you're much more of a monologue. Oh yeah, I don't really, I don't reply to people really. Yeah, that's I what I mean. So that's I, a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I I rarely like have interactions with people. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, maybe it sounds crazy. I I think I've also been jaded over time because like, people be screenshotting things, DMs and and comments, and then all of a sudden there's like a video. Blair White said this on Twitter, and it's like. Why? Why? I could have avoided that by just not interacting with someone I don't fucking care about. Or, or use careful choices of language when you're talking to someone in writing. But I don't like doing that. So I don't, I choose not to. Okay. I like to just be myself. Or if I can't be myself, I just won't be me at all. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's one difference. Okay. So you and I moved on to Austin on the same day. Yeah. I think it's been seven. But, yeah. Oh my god, we've been here so long. Yeah, we're That's old. It's crazy. It, well, speak for yourself. I'm young and pruned, and you're old and dusty. But pruned, yeah, wrinkly. <laughs> and you give people a new prune. And you give people the shits. <sighs> a new prune. No diarrhea. That's a plum. Do you not know what prunes are? I've never eaten either of them. Do you? I, I do not have to eat them. Do you know what a prune? Do you, did you not know that a prune is like a dried plum? Actually, no. Because when I was a kid, my grandpa had. Um, was it a prune orchard? It was a prune no, orchard. It would be a plum orchard. Okay, Pr a plum orchard. are like raisins. Okay. It's, it's, they're all disgusting to me. But I used to I used to be a little like farmer. Isn't that crazy? That's I used cute. to I used to like work and like be picking them from the trees, Aww. putting them in the thing. It was crazy. Um so you may even lose my train of thought. I literally had something. About how different you are online versus real. No, 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 no. Austin. Austin. We okay. had transitioned um together. So we moved here on the same day. It's been seven or eight months. Seven. I feel like it's been almost eight. Well, you don't have to September, speculate. October, November, November, <laughs> there you January. go. There it is. It's been eight. How? Oh. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Okay. I can do math. Seven and a half. Okay. Yes, yes. So we hated it at first. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like the first thing we kind of bonded over. And when we first met, we were like, so you moved here. So you moved here. Nice to meet you. And it was kind of like, so you hate it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I feel completely differently now. I'm sure you do too. Oh, very much so. Yeah. What are some things, people are going to hate this, but what are some things that you would maybe change for the better for Austin though? Because it's not perfect. I would have diners. There's no, like, as you and I learned, if you want to go out with your buddies at like midnight to grab a bite, there's nothing. Um, the restaurant, I mean, this is the most bougie stuff ever, but the restaurant scene's a problem in that if you have a group of four and you want to grab a bite, like every place is booked. So that's a... I mean, these are minor inconveniences. I also feel like there's not neighborhoods in Austin like there were in, in Brooklyn, especially. Like you have Sixth Street, you have Rainy Street, but those are just like strips people go to get drunk. So there isn't like like a little like and there's like the domain, which is like a like a synthetic like I mall neighborhood. Yeah, but there isn't like a place where you could just walk around. It's not a walking city at all, which is something as a New Yorker took me a lot to get used to. And there's neighborhoods in terms of residential. But they're not really that different from me. It's like this type of house or this type of house. Like that's not going to drag me to one neighborhood or another. 
Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like in LA, you had like West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, regular Hollywood, East Hollywood, which I never went to. Um, yeah, it's different. But I also, I don't know. I think the thing about Austin is I just like the people. I feel like I'm more respected here by a lot of, I'm sure you feel the same because our audiences, for whatever reason, Texas seems to be, we have a lot of people from Texas in our audiences. Um, so that's really good. The diner thing, like you said, I would change because we had to go to IHOP at like midnight that one night and we both got really depressed about it. Yeah, That was bad. But I don't know. I do see like Los Angeles and New York, like the bad types of people slowly like influencing it as well. Like you go to certain restaurants and you look around and it's like everyone here is from LA. You can tell by how they dress. Yeah. You know. But maybe that's not fair necessarily because I feel like people would maybe look at me and be like, oh, that's an LA person. In fact, I know they would. But I feel like I'm influencing it for the better. So maybe I'm giving the wrong judgments to these people. It's always good to be judgmental, in my opinion. I like being judgy. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, I actually feel like that's half of our friendship, which is us talking about like other people yeah, like a lot and of, what we feel about them. A lot of shit talking. We talk a lot of shit. Yeah, and we're good at it. Yeah, and we talk we talk a lot of shit in DMs, yeah. texts. Insta, Insta DMs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sitting around. Oh, my God. I feel like we need to take a segment, though, to rape people. Is this going to be? Are you, I feel like we need is to. Is this going to be like every time. episode you're going to rape pill the guest? <laughs> There's going to be a segment every episode where we, I make we them just, just sit and watch it. I watch this 10-minute clip of Rob Rolling Ray. No, not the 10-minute clip. The 25-minute oh. Oh, the episode. Full, the full. <laughs> Imagine if I did that. So you and I, for whatever reason, our brains have really latched onto this guy named Rolling Ray. Yeah. And people should search him up. Maybe just in another tab right now while they're listening. How do you explain the psychology of why... <laughs> We are so obsessed with this human being and the people around him. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I have an explanation. When when you find like a <laughs> like when you find that band that you like that none of your friends like, and it just like hits, uh, I don't know that you're ever going to be able to articulate in words why you find it so interesting. And we've tried, we've shown this video to lots of people. It's never what we want. A lot to of be. them just sit there and they're like, "Oh, this is this is yeah," and you're sitting, there and you're like, "No, you don't you don't get it." But then if they asked us to explain it, we wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I guess I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, because they do. Because we tell people like you have to sit and watch this, and they're and, like, and they'll, "Why?" And we make them do it, and they do it. Yeah, they yeah, that is one of the things is I feel like people kind of just do what we want. Yeah, like great. together we're very persuasive. Yeah. We are individually persuasive, but together it's like I'm not going to tell them no. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's painful watching them try to find it funny, but it's fine. <laughs> um. So man, this shows off the great start. It's <laughs> great. I think it's perfect. Per. I think it's <laughs> per. I need everyone in the comments to start saying per. Yes. That's the new phrase. And per. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Fuck. I had something. There was another something I wanted to talk about, Michael. Let's see. Oh, she's got notes. I, receipts, yeah. baby. I have a list of receipts on you. This is the Exposed Michael segment. No. no. <laughs> what was that? that was, I'm exposed. That was deep. Who are your favorite other content creators that are part of, like, because there seems to be this, like, Austin scene that people associate us with with being here this includes people like i like how we like in all seriousness i like how we've been in here for five minutes and like oh yeah you guys are this these are this austin scene but it's true no it's 100 yeah. percent true like people like 
if they come to Austin, they're hitting you up or they're hitting me yeah. up. Like we're very much And like, I reply. And I don't reply. <laughs> yeah. The thing <laughs> Michael has been actually teaching me how to be a human being. There's something really sick What's about sick? the fact that Michael Malice has to teach you how to be kind to like like quality people. People who are kind to me. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, I'm very antisocial. Okay. And you would never know it by being like a close friend with me because we never shut the fuck up when we're together. <laughs> it's actually probably a problem for everyone else around us. But <laughs> do you think people think we're annoying? No, they don't. No? Well, no. A lot, of people, a lot of people do think we're annoying, but in person, they don't. Yeah, online for sure. But in person, I think Online, people... they're right. Yeah. Yeah, remember when we were spiraling like two days ago uh, how we're actually just clowns? Yes, And that's true. our whole thing. We are, though. The whole thing is we're just clowns. But um, th the question, what are the other people that sort of fall into that, like, the Austin scene of, like, the 2020s? Which is what it is. Everyone moved here, like, 2020. Um, your favorites. I mean, I think Joe Rogan is the one who kind of was the one who put Austin on the map. He's okay. To, 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 a, to a big <laughs> extent. Um, so, obviously, him... I think Alex Jones obviously is, is a big figure in that regard. Tim Dillon, though he left, was a big part of that. He left. I think he went back to L.A. Yeah. For what? I don't know. Lex Friedman obviously is is a big figure in that regard. I I, and I'm sure there's other names. Tony Hinchcliffe, who's amazing. Oh, he's great. Um, I think that what makes Austin so special, and I say this as a former New Yorker is it's kind of like a Venn diagram because there's lots of little pockets of people who are making it happen. And when you have that kind of cross-pollination like New York did back in like the late 70s, like Paris did in the 1920s, you end up making something magical and even a little bit historical. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because it feels as though we got in at a time where it's like, not to whatever, whatever, but you we're molding it in a way. Mm -hmm. Like we're at a point where we can actually change Austin to be kind of what we want it to be which I think is so cool and I think like what really set it off was like the RV stream that was yeah. like when everyone was kind of in one place or at least most of us and I feel like that's when like we really like made an impact when we first got here like immediately we like did some really crazy shit you were on Rogan then I was on Rogan you actually vouched for me to go on Rogan when you first met me which I think was kind of like I was like oh I'm not used to people doing stuff like that for me well, um, I'm, I was happy to do it. But why? You just met me. Because I knew it would be a good conversation. Um, I knew I am very much into the idea of having this kind of creative community in Austin. So I think it's important that everyone know each other and be on good terms with each other. Um, so that was kind of my motivation there. And I knew that, you know, the trans issue was something that they hit him with a lot. And if you were on that show and were vibing with him, which I knew you would do immediately, uh, they would have shit to say then. Or they would have much less shit to say. I have noticed they haven't really been hitting him with the trans shit yeah. said. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or even a small part to do with it. But now they're just getting him for the race stuff. So maybe he needs to have, I don't know, fucking Candace Owens. No, he needs to have Rolling Ray on. Oh, we have to make that happen. How did how do it take us this long to think of this? If we get Rolling Ray on Joe Rogan, oh it's my God. giving. Yeah. That would be like the most amazing thing ever. 
Could you imagine? I can't imagine. <laughs> we need to make it happen. And he's just spin- you can get one clown on. You can get- <laughs> and he's spinning around. Just like that. <laughs> just like that. Yeah. Oh my god. No, but one of the things about you that I was thinking about earlier was I take it very seriously, even though like our friendship is pretty unserious. I take it very seriously that you like vouched for me to like important people. There's been multiple people, we don't have to drop names, that you've kind of like had around and like you tell them like you'll like Blair. I like being a quiet people connector. Um, and that also speaks to what I was saying earlier about you, know, those young men, is I know what it's like to be creative and not have a community and how hard it is. But I also know the other side, how great it is. Like if you're having issues with your podcast or I'm having issues with my podcast, you know, that's a very unique situation. There's not that many people you could talk to about it. Like your friends could be like, could be supportive, but they're not going to have advice because that's not their life and that's fine. So it's really good because the, the more successful you become, however you measure success, the harder it is to find people who give you useful, actionable advice. Your friends will be able to give you support, but yeah. like if someone's going through, let's suppose a divorce and none of their friends have been divorced, there's only so much they can say as opposed to, you know, someone, I've been through a divorce. Here's what the legal process is going to be like. Here's how you find a good lawyer. That's real, mm. useful, actionable information. So I think it's the same thing when people who are kind of in, basically in our broad industry, if I can, and I like and respect them both, if they can kind of have each other's information and be on good terms, that helps everybody. Yeah, but I, I totally see what you're saying. But I meant more in the sense of like, and maybe this is just me and all my trauma being like shocked by people being kind. I don't know what it is. But like, it's just the fact that like, if that person ended up not liking me or having a bad experience with me, or if the episode I did on Joe Rogan it's a grackle. They're the birds here instead of pigeons. Oh, okay. Grackle. I was like, is that Jesus coming for me? Oh, my God. Um, he, he's not coming anywhere near you. I assure you. He is running away screaming. He's vanishing He's me. saying, kill me again. I do not want to be the... in a room with this demon. The what? What? Sheman? The sheman. Yeah. That's what Michael calls me as a sheman. Straight out as a demon. He's like, no, I'm actually going to gender you correctly. You're a fucking sheman. Um, but no, say that my episode on Rogan was a flop. Well, like say it was mean? a bad say it was a bad conversation. We could have we could have had a negative interaction. I mean, so it that was make unlikely. It a flop if you got if, what you mean, like arguing. No, he, he, what I mean is like if Joe would have regretted putting me on the show for whatever reason. No, but the thing is, you're, you, it's easy to say that, but like literally, what reason would it take for him to regret you having on? I'm not saying that there would be a good reason, and but, and but I, I can't think of even a bad reason. It, here's the reason someone would be a bad guest: they're offensive to him or they're rude to him, which I knew there's no chance you're ever going to be. That they're boring and don't know how to talk, which you obviously... That would be the worst case. Yeah, but you've done it so much that there's no chance you're just going to sit there and be like, oh, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, so other than that, like, I don't see how it could have gone badly. Okay, maybe the Rogan thing is not the best example, but it's one of them. Like, if someone you say to... And you wait, can like, I say one more thing? I turned, I'm sorry. The other reason I was happy to do it is because you didn't ask me to do it. Well, no, I was like shocked. I, have a, a I was lot like, of people, you gave Joe Rogan my number? What? A lot, a lot of, well, I asked you first if I give it well, to him. Well, of course. Yeah, but no, no, uh, just want to be clear. I don't give out people's information. A lot of times people have asked me and they've asked you to get them on Rogan. And I'm not like that with him. Oh, of course not. Where I feel comfortable just promoting them. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that like you felt comfortable saying yes to Blair, but maybe you'll have a million other people asking you say no to. Well, I don't say no. I just don't answer. Well, exactly. Or like... 
you brought people around just in a social setting, you're like, you will like Blair. If they had a negative interaction with me, that might look at least slightly bad on your part. Like, why would you bring this person around me? Especially a lot of your friends are very important. So I, I don't think I have any friends when I was younger. Sorry, did I interrupt you? No. When I was younger, I had a very Soviet mindset, you know, being raised in a Russian household. Right. And part of that is you keep everyone separate from each other because what if they get together and conspire against you? It's a very crazy mindset. And it I really crazy. stuck to that. Like if I was ever dating someone, never introduced them to my friends kind of thing. Like I, I didn't like that. And then as I got older and I was more secure in my position socially and career wise, I'm like, all right, let's. And the thing is, New York is not good in that regard because there's a lot of it's not as even LA is even worse. A lot of transactional relationships and a lot of uh, smiling and nodding and then biting your tongue and talking crap on the person behind their back. There's much less of that here. And I don't think I have any friends who, if I introduce them, it would get heated. At the worst, it'd be like, eh, I I didn't care for them, which doesn't reflect badly on me at all. It just, no one's going to take that personally. Okay. No one's going to think that makes me look like a bad person. Maybe that I'm different then because if like, not you because we're so close, but if there was someone that I was just kind of meeting and they're like, oh, and you'll like such and such, I'm going to bring her to your to your, your house or your party or your thing or whatever. And then that person like I had a problem with or like hated or was rude to me or just any number of things that could go wrong, I probably would look at that person like they're not really a good friend because they don't know me enough. As to- I, as, as I, as I, me too. Yeah. I agree with that. Right. So I'm just trying to say it was a big compliment. And because I lived in LA for so many years and because it's so transactional there in terms of like people and relationships, immediately I was like, oh my God, what does he want me to do for him now? Because how, how do I top giving your number to Joe Rogan? But then I was like, he wouldn't have done it if he wanted something in return. It was just something nice. Yeah. But Take I me to Home Depot once in a while. <laughs> True. I'd be taking you to Home Depot like once a week. Yeah. And we always shop for things that you know damn well. You probably should just Amazon Prime. Yeah, but we go anyways, and we never find it. Yeah, well, if the plant has arrived to my house and it needs to be potted because it doesn't have soil, like I'd rather go to Home Depot now than wait for Amazon to deliver it. That makes sense. We just haven't had the best of luck. With Correct. Home Depot. That's fair. And it's probably really funny watching us pull up in the pink car to Home Depot. It is, and then for sure. <laughs> for sure, we're entire sure. clowns. You're someone that has educated me a lot about gay history. Okay. Like a lot, a lot. Okay. Like a, I didn't know almost anything about gay history. I knew I knew the bare bones. I knew Stonewall. I knew That's it. That's the list. That's all you knew. That's yeah, the list. Yeah, but, but what I mean but what I also mean Do is we, I, should we talk about things you didn't know? Well, let me finish what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I knew the general trajectory that like the community has gone. No, you don't. Yes, I did. No, you did. I totally did. You knew that there was actually a big thriving gay scene in like the twenties? You didn't know Maybe that. not that far back. My, my, the, my knowledge goes to like, not when you were born, which is the 20s, but like the 60s. Yeah, but that's a small, you don't, I mean, you <laughs> go ahead. What I'm saying is you've taught me a lot about that and a lot about trans stuff, which sure. is so funny because I don't know. I would have never expected you to even like know a lot of shit about trans stuff, but you like do at least in the, in history and certain figures. Mm-hmm. So what is your, maybe fascination is not the right word. What is, what about gay history and LGBT history has enamored you to the point where you know so much about it? 
it's not gay history per se. I also know a lot about like black history, black cultural history, like the Harlem Renaissance, you know. Right, but even people uh, that I, dip I'm, into I'm about there. To answer you. Okay. So the reason why I find all this stuff so interesting is because I am both interested in it as of it, in and of itself, but also as a mechanism for affecting social change. How does culture happen? What? Why do we watch these shows? Why do we dress in certain ways? Why do we listen to this kind of music? And historically, this has been a function of marginalized uh, groups. So it's going to be violently overrepresented with gay people, with black people, and with Jewish people. Um, and it's not a coincidence. It's not like these groups are somehow magical. But the reason is, if you're on the periphery, mm. you're like standing outside the house looking at the party, you can kind of see what the party's like, but also critique it, tweak it, make it your own. So that provides an opportunity. And as you know, young white men are to some extent being pushed away, they're now creating culture as well in terms yeah. of memes and things that are sometimes not as palatable uh, and so on and so forth. So I also am also, as a hipster, meaning someone who likes things that are a little obscure, you probably haven't heard of it, that kind of stuff. There's so much, I really despise the Disney version of history and cultural history. And what ends up happening is, uh, you know, I, I've made this example many times. It is of interest to everyone who likes history, which is most people. You don't have to read history books. You can watch the History Channel. What was it like being a black person in New York in 1776? I don't know. You don't know. That would be interesting, right? I'd watch a movie on that. Like, what was it like? Uh, you don't have to be a black person to be interested in that. However, politically, it's become that African-American history is some kind of left-wing or far-left academic discourse and then the conservatives are like oh it's a lefty thing it's like what this yeah, guy's in 1776 he's not thinking about democrats yeah. republicans same thing with gay history it's become you know both sides have this weird agreement where it's like a democrat or a lefty thing and the conservatives are like oh that's for them the the left were the ones who were persecuting the gays but they're not going to tell you and the conservatives think it's not for them so they're not going to do the homework and it ends up being this completely lie about what history was like in America. So as someone who is, thinks that culture is far more important, as an anarchist, that culture is far more important than politics in terms of what makes societies move, it's important for me to learn how that happened. And it's also really interesting because I love finding out about obscure figures that have kind of been forgotten about who really, this is what you're saying, you know, how people look up to. I do look up to a lot of these people. like. Wallace Thurman from the Harlem Renaissance and, and Zora Neale Hurston especially, because it was a lot harder for them than it is for me. So how did they find that strength to fight? Like, what were they up against? Like, when you read about these people, they're like the secular version of saints in the sense, not that they were like morally, you know, admirable. In many cases, they were not at all. But the fact that they were up against it and they did what they could with what they had. And I find that extremely inspirational. One of the people that you brought to my attention is candy darling and you did a live stream about her as well like a long time ago i remember yeah um, didn't watch it live but i remember seeing it on your channel um and it was really interesting to see and this is one of the things that i got actually a lot out of was seeing the parallels between her life and mine even though our lives are obviously so radically different i'm afforded so much more like for lack of a better term privilege like luxury really my life's pretty luxurious in comparison um, but still seeing that there is still that parallel. And what I also got out of you teaching about all that is that I also fell into, I feel like the trap of feeling like gay shit is 
political in a way that like it maybe shouldn't be is that actually there's a whole like apolitical gay world apolitical trans world that one's a little smaller but apolitical trans world um and that that's worth like finding entertainment in or learning from or indulging in or being part of and it's not always like all this political shit and I should have inherently just known that because I know that being trans, my shit's politicized all the time, everything to do with being trans. But like, for instance, ballroom, that's something that is a little bit niche and fringe, Very much like so, us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if someone would have, if another person would have been like, hey, do you watch this show called Legendary, which is a competition show about ballroom, which is a whole thing in the gay world. Um, I'd have been like, no, that's not for me. Because in my mind, I would have said, it's going to be some woke shit. It's going to be some political shit. It's going to be, you know, everything you'd expect it to be. Um, But it's not at all. And there's a whole world that you can enjoy. And you you, you kind of like make me like gay shit again. Yeah. And also, I just, you know, find it. There's just so much dishonesty about the history. If you read Cynthia Carr's biography of David Wanyarovich, who was a East Village um, artist in the early 80s. I think he died in 1987 of AIDS. And, you know, the fact that AIDS was spreading to this community because they're all having sex with each other um, and they're all you know, watching each other drop like flies. It's not like at that time, like the Democratic Party were like, yeah, these are our people. They were they were just yeah. happy to throw them in the garbage, except for certain pockets to them, like the, the kind of the hardcore leftists. But the corporate leftists, they weren't like championing these people. And and their whole point, what it became was like, well, anyone can get AIDS. Sure, that's technically true, but that's not who was getting it. It was being localized to certain populations. And they were more than happy to be like, well, that sounds like a you people problem and mm. shut the door. If you hear it now, though, they want to make it out that like Ronald Reagan is all Ronald Reagan's fault. This is a complete ahistorical lie. Um, and I think it's important uh, to look at how groups become marginalized and how human beings just basically are comfortable being like well if it's their issue well sorry about it sorry not yeah. sorry so it's 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 really kind of a especially coming from new york a, a moment in time and gay shit moves culture in so many ways like even just sometimes you forget so many of the like slang and just words that a lot of people from other communities use it's like it's used so often that you forget like oh no that literally originated from like drag queens like so much makeup style that's so popular among just regular cis women now it's like they just be doing drag queen stuff now like right or the, the very expression throwing shade is you know it's that yeah it's everyone says yeah. throwing shade i i see straight white conservatives saying the phrase and, throwing and, shade and they now. have no idea where this expression came from and they no. they have no idea where any of these things that they appropriate they, they just say oh hollywood's been taken over by the leftists it's like when wasn't creativity a left-wing thing right 100 percent. but i think that's why i enjoy that you do include that performance art aspect to what you do because i have said this for years that the right has this really just strange aversion to art and creativity and and just using that whole entire side of your brain that I think serves them not at all. Like it's actually a net negative that they're like that. I think it's very bad. Yes, especially for young people because they're alienating yes. all the arty girls and the arty girls get the arty boys and the arty boys kind of get the regular guys and then that whole dominoes and you end up with, you know, it's, it's really a big problem. And just alienating gays and LGBT people in general from sure. like right-wing politics. I feel like it's, this is like an ongoing thing <clears throat> with me, obviously, there's a 24-7 conversation about, like, <clears throat> my bad, I'm coughing, about, like, 
should Blair be taken seriously in the right wing sphere or people like who are some like gay conservatives? Like, I don't know. Like Chad. Yeah. All those people. Um, And it's like, what a stupid conversation to be having. In my opinion, it doesn't make sense. There's so much other shit to worry about so much bigger shit. And it's like, you're literally just alienating people for no reason. And you've said this, you're not just alienating those people. You're alienating anyone who has even like a little bit of like empathy towards those people or sympathy for those people. It seems very stupid. Would you agree? I don't know if I'd say stupid, but I, I mean, their argument, let's steel man them as best you can. Their argument is, okay, you let Blair in, then next week you have Drag Queen Story Hour, and then you have all these other things with kindergartners. They're not entirely wrong, because you are kind of a one foot in each, maybe a little toe in that world and a foot in the other world. Yeah. But at the same time, it's unless you have a better handle of how culture moves, uh, this is something you're gonna you you can't just like here's an, another example where I think conservatives are just getting completely wrong. Like they'll talk about black and black crime, black and black crime, and it's like, well, what do you what what's your answer to, to, to done with it? And they're like, well, they shouldn't vote Democrat. It's like, okay, in their culture, like everyone's voting Democrat. Like, what if I, as a black person in that neighborhood, voted Republican? Or if there's even a Republican in the ballot, what do you want me to do about it? It's like, well, I don't know. It's not my problem. Well. You can't just not my problem entire populations in a yeah. democracy, especially when that population is having a big impact on the creative aspect of that culture, which you are going to be saying shade, you know, 10 years from now. And you have, you're completely oblivious to where it came from. It's like that Devil Wears Prada speech uh, that Meryl Streep gives mm. Anne Hathaway. That was a good one. Um, so seeing as though you have witness more so than me the trajectory of the gay community and and other marginalized communities how do you think this current period in the gay lgbt world in general is going to be perceived throughout history going forward because it's some different Um, shit going on i said before that only corporate america can make sodomy and perversion seem downright boring um i think it's a very weird thing to walk through new york during pride and having rainbow flags for every bank and if you watch a TV show, their identity of gay is having brunch with a bunch of dudes and yeah. they're giving them kisses on the cheek. So it's a very fake, uh, bougie um, representation of a community that is really kind of like, they just took out the wife and put in a dude and they think it's the same. When you have a group of all men, they're not gonna act the same as a group that's mixed gender or a group of all women, but they want people to think that they are because they're very big on the idea that human beings are largely interchangeable, except for like they've got this weird quirk about them, but that doesn't really matter. So I don't know how it's gonna look back at historically, um, but I think a big problem is when you do have a group that had previously been on the, on the outskirts become mainstreamed, a lot of their ability to innovate and be creative is gonna get lost because now like every, you know, the most Good Morning America basic yeah. Karen can watch Queer Eye and think Carson Kressley's fabulous. Like, oh my God. Yeah, that's true. I guess I meant more so because I'm so entrenched in all the trans stuff. That's very separate from the gay stuff. Cause I, I, I agree with what you're saying with like the way this period in like gay history we look back at. But I think like we should separate it into the trans stuff because there's a lot of like dark shit happening with the trans stuff with kids yes that's very different right and to me the way i see it going forward is there has to be a pendulum swing at some point with the trans stuff it's being so shoved down people's throats by corporate america and um 
so many kids are being generally harmed by it when historically it was something that would help these kids. And so I think like the trans stuff specifically is probably going to be looked back at in a very negative way. Um, I think there's a big problem when you can't do anything but keep doubling down. Yes. And the fact that um, people who detransition is something that's a taboo to discuss. The fact that a lot of young people, especially young women, who have some sense of gender dysphoria or question their gender identity, that they're pushed to transition and then you, they have irreversible changes to their body. Um, that is something that is really going to blow up in a lot of people's faces. Um, because I'm old enough to remember, and this is an age thing, and I've read Deborah So's book, and she talks about this as well with the, Love her. With the, with the literature, is teenage girls especially felt very uncomfortable with their bodies. Their bodies are changing. They're getting male, unwelcome male attention. They still feel like a kid, but then people are being lewd to them. It's just weird. Yeah. I'm glad I'm a guy. It's weird in between place. And uh, as a result of this, you know, eating like everyone, every girl I know, or let's suppose 75% at one point had some eating disorder, right? Um, because you feel uncomfortable in your body. Eating disorders aren't about being fat. Eating disorders is about lack of feeling of control. Uh, but now it's gone from if I feel uncomfortable in my body, which is very common for both genders uh, in those high school years, it's like, well, change your body. Well, maybe it wasn't the body per se. Maybe it's the calls coming from inside the house and mm -hmm. changing this is not going to silence that voice. But once you do that, like, you know, you've cut off your breasts or your voice has changed permanently. I think it's a lot easier for someone who transitions to female to detransition de than for a young woman to transition to male to detransition. So, yeah. so this is something that there's going to be a, I think, somewhat of a, of a backlash, or maybe not a backlash, but much more of a nuanced conversation. Yeah, and I think that is what is frustrating for me is that I feel like there will be a reckoning. I, I think it's actually going to be bad. I think there's going to be, and you can see statistically, like acceptance rates for LGBT going down for the first time in like a decade, which is not a good thing. Um, I think it's going to be pretty bad, and I think trans people in general are probably going to be stigmatized in a way they haven't been before. Because before, you think historically, it's like trans people were stigmatized as kind of like just gross. It was kind of like a thing like, oh, this is gross. This chick has a dick or this whatever. Whereas going forward, it's like, oh, no, trans people are like a danger to society, a threat kids, to yeah. children, yeah. a threat to women. And I don't know how you come back from that. Like, I don't have the solution. But I think like, like you said, there has to be a nuanced conversation. So it's frustrating to like be trying to have it before people are ready. So like most of what I talk about is just like stuff that's going to be commonplace 10 years from now. But like now it's like you say it and it's like you get fucking hammered. So it's like deeply. Ugh, it's like one of the things that actually depresses me a lot. When you start messing with kids, the kids stuff makes me like it makes me feel like ashamed to be trans. Honestly, maybe that's a big statement, but it kind of does. The only time I ever feel shame or um, like I don't even want to talk about it. Is like if that conversation's happening in real life, you know what I mean. But we'll see what happens. Um, you, I would say, are probably the truest definition of like an ally. Okay. Would you say so? Well, it's not for me to say, I guess. You have said it to me though. Yeah, but it's not for me to say if I'm the truest definition of one. Okay, maybe not the truest definition part, but I think you're like a true ally in the sense of like you see. At least for me, I've never felt like you see me through 
like the political lens that everyone else kind of sees me through. And I think that's been like good. Is that the same with like, you didn't have any trans friends in New York really, did you? No, uh, no, I don't think I had, no. I'm like your first one? Yeah. Oh my God, that's cool. You can never have another one. Okay. Ever. Okay. <laughs> um, Frankly, I'm regretting this one. <laughs> Where's the receipt? Take it back to the store. <laughs> Return it. <laughs> Return this to hell. What was that thing you said? Um, I like clowned you or something and called you like my dad or my grandpa in public. And then you said something about like, I'm your daughter. You're no, I said that you, we were at Baskin Robbins. And you told the, because you were paying for the ice cream for both of us. And you said, okay, I'm paying for my cone and whatever my dad wants. <laughs> and I went I did to, at the airport too. And I whispered in your ear, if you were my daughter, I'd throw you off the building myself. Oh, yeah. And I meant it. Uh, let's not get into building throwing. That's a whole other thing. That's for the episode with Alex Jones. Spoiler alert. You think Alex Jones will come on my podcast? Yes. You think he'll say yes? Mm -hmm. He better say yes. I feel like the last question should be, what do you want to be remembered as in one sentence? Michael Malice was. I mean, can I be broad with it? Yeah, you can be whatever you want with it. Uh, so Michael Malice was someone who left the world a better place than he found it. It's very broad. Yeah. But that makes sense. It's true. Perfect. That's what everyone should, in, in my opinion, that's a good goal from i think everybody it's all the truth it's all that else to say <laughs> thank you for being my first guest michael you are welcome